what's in your mind? Please share it as openly and, and as honestly as you can. I don't have answers. I just have been practicing for a while. Why don't we start? What's please and really speak up. Let's move very, very slowly. Self-doubt. Tell me what you mean. Um, the patriotism makes me feel very uncomfortable. Ah, good one. Can we stay with that for a while? Don't forget your second one. I knew I forgot something, uh, which is on a lot of people's minds. The flag. Okay. Uh, I learned a lot about the American flag. I actually have a flag hanging out of my apartment. I'm shocked at myself. Uh, I brought up the possibility of, of a flag at CIMC. They nearly lynched me. Okay, it's not that people don't care, but here's what I learned from it. I'm listening to everyone's projections. It's just a piece of cloth, you know. For me, the reason I'm doing it, uh, it just exploded. Uh, you know, I, I've been in the so-called anti-war movement. I, I was in the military refusing to bear arms for two years. I was in the medics. It's not, a, it's not an act of bigotry or aggression or America first. It's, a, it's grieving. That's all it is for a little while. Uh, it's uh, showing a feeling of being together with other people who are also grieving. That's all it is. Now, people were incredible... Uh, one person said, well, if, you're, if it's Dharma, then you can't wave. You, you know, it's, that's saying America, America, America. That's not Dharma. I don't agree with that. I think that's attachment to emptiness. I'm going to get technical Buddhist Heart Sutra, chapter and verse. Uh, it's, the issue is not whether you wave a flag or not, or even whether you love your country or not. It's whether there's such a level of attachment, identification, that you set it up as a kind of fortress over and above other things so that other countries are seen as, who cares? It's me. That's where the, the... And everyone's doing that. We're doing it to each other as individual egos and as nations. There's, in itself, there's nothing wrong with loving your country. I love America. I can tell you that openly. I come from an immigrant background that escaped from... Russia, I have a lot to be grateful for. I'm not shy about it. Uh, but the other point is well taken. That is, okay, now there are people who say, I'm a citizen of the world. That sounds superior to me with my little flag and loving her. But I would say not necessarily. Because sometimes, because some of them are my friends, uh, they set that up over and above all of us little beings, you know, who uh, love their country and maybe uh, other kinds of provincial little uh, love Cambridge or, you know, sort of... Uh, so it's caught in the same trap as people who are, I can't be a Buddhist because that's a, a little enclosure and it's identification and blah, blah, blah. But then you create, create a person who's non-aligned with anything. That's another group, you know. <laughs> you know that's set up against all those ignorant people if they'd only see through the fact that they're the ones who are causing this suffering. For the most part, they're right. 
identifications. It's madness now. Every little there are countries that I never heard of. They're now their history. I have to know about uh, Uzbekistan's history and how noble and you know I never heard of the country until a few years ago. Sorry, I mean I thought I was reasonably well educated, and every one of them, it's all we're all versus each other, and you know so that's just like any other uh, craving attachment. That's just straight for noble truth. Of course, it's going to bring suffering, and it is an attachment to views and opinions. The terrorists have a strong view and opinion that they're going to heaven and they're going to get all these virgins. You know, like, and their families will be well taken care of. Good luck. I haven't heard any uh, mullahs or Islamic scholars, except a few on the internet quietly, to, to just step out publicly and discredit that and say that's not in the Quran. In the Quran, what's emphasized is you don't kill civilians even during war. Okay, so there's, so there, it's subtle. But I know what the flag means to me, and I felt a little self-conscious today. You know, like what when Michael and Ryan come back, they're going to see it. I won't go there. <laughs> but I have a four-letter word for them. I'm flying my flag. It's grieving. I love this country. Uh, I also feel very close to Israel. And I also care about the Palestinians. I'm quite aware of the suffering they're undergoing, and I'm quite aware of the limitations of Israel. So that's not the point. So is that something like what you were questioning, getting at? Uh, no, I think. I'll oh. Be- <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you it's all about me tonight. It's all about me disguised as a big Buddhist teacher. Okay, go ahead. Let's try. I apologize. Yes, but that is good. That's an extension of this. What does it mean to be a good American? For me, what does it mean to be a good Jew in Israel? I would say to try to understand the suffering of the Palestinians, to understand that there's been greed in Israel, that on the one hand there's been an offering. We want peace desperately. On the other hand, the settlements keep going on, even with all right till recently. You can't have, do it that way. Okay, so I'm doing it for the benefit, I think, for the benefit of our country. I'm not America last. I love this country. And I don't think just uh, flexing muscles and, you know, uh, will you really feel safe if the, if the guard is, is uh, activated and we have 40,000, 8 million more soldiers? And there's no shield for, for this. Something else much deeper has to be understood and worked with. And to some degree it is, slowly. So I don't see any necessary conflict as a, as a good American. Let's say you have a child and you see a child is doing something destructive and stupid. Would you say that you're a good parent? That's wonderful, Johnny or Janie. Uh, as a good parent, you have to intervene and say, what are you doing? You're going to wind up in the penitentiary. Do you see what I'm getting at? Good. What's the second one? Well, we got there just a long way. What? I forgot. Okay. Please. Forgive me if this is a basic question. Oh, there's no such thing. Um, I have a three-year-old son who is yeah. processing this all in his unconscious. And every now and then he'll say, Mommy, like today in the park, there was an accident and people got killed. Uh, what happened to them? And I said, they died. And being a Catholic, I said, you know, they went to heaven. Um, what, what would you say to a child about death? Yeah, um, I have to first of all disqualify myself. I don't have children. Uh, I I know. I mean, I I was a child, 
Uh, I still am probably. <laughs> um, you know, but I have, I've watched and I'm human. Uh, it seems to me it would depend on the child, how uh, strong or fragile the child is, the, the total uh, domestic situation of the child. Uh, that doesn't sound so terrible. Do you believe it that the child will go, you know, uh, the, the ideology of going to heaven and all what you just said? Is that true to, for you? I, I, I believe that there is something after this. Oh, sure. You know, and more and more with this teaching, I feel like we were separate in this existence and somehow we come together. It seems like some of the stuff which is basic to any good parent, the child needs to feel loved and safe. Okay, that, but then that becomes a head-on collision with, truth, with the truth. And so you don't want to totally, but it's three, three years old. Yeah, he keeps going back to death and wanting to know. And um, I, 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 I have a difficult time talking about God and heaven because I'm, I'm more and more in, interested in the Dharma, but I don't know how to oh. talk about what happens afterwards to a child. But why did you bring that up? Did the child ask about afterwards or is that something you introduced? Gosh, that's a... Hmm. Um, I, I suppose... I would say closer to this fact. Simple. Yes, where did they go? They where did they go? What happened? Did the child ask that? I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. If they didn't, why open that up? Uh, in other words, I would... I've already opened well, now it's there. Yeah. That may be more for you. Uh, again, what I do know, this I do know a little bit more about. Uh, you know more than I do about what to do with your, with your son. But uh, the degree to which, much more, but the degree to which you're in touch with what this is bringing up in you will enable you to draw upon your own wisdom, your own obvious love, uh, and to do what's best is not. It's obviously uh, uh, it's not going to be perfect. I can just I'm just now thinking of something. When I grew up, I was sheltered from. I loved my grandmother, and she died, and I wasn't allowed to go. I wasn't three. I was older than that, but not a huge, not that many years older. And uh, the Jewish way was, uh, you stay home. The adults go first of all to the hospital. I wanted to be with her, uh, and then I wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral, and I've regretted that. No, it's not really reincarnation. It's rebirth. It's a little different. Okay, but is this for your edification? See, it doesn't sound like the child. What the child at three years old? Why make it introduce a level of complexity? Uh, I think it's more immediate. The child. Uh, let's back up. Let's not move away from this just yet, because it's a. On the TV. Okay, see, you gave a lot more than the child asked for. And it's too late. You're the, the you know, it's opened, uh, the, the box. But uh, it is necessary, to, I, I would think. But I, I really know the limitations of what I'm saying. Uh, I would say very close to home. But, you know, if we take the Buddha's life, that might be of some help. 
he was given a bunch of baloney, right? That's uh, it's, uh, the uh, he was uh, protected from aging, sickness, and death. You know the story of the Buddha, and he woke. Part of awakening was to realize uh, this is natural and part of life. So I'm all for children uh, being uh, gracefully introduced to. One meaning of Dharma is natural law. To me, that's quite beautiful. It's just the way things are. Uh, there is also Buddhist teachings about rebirth, but I don't think that's too relevant. There's a distinction between rebirth and reincarnation. In a nutshell, reincarnation implies a fixed entity that uh, drops one body and then inhabits the next one and the next one perfecting themselves. In the Buddhist way of thinking, rebirth there isn't a fixed entity to begin with. The self, we're just a process. And so th- this will, I think, convey it faster than my words. Uh, if you have a candle that's burning and then you have another candle that isn't lit and you take the lit one and you light the, w- the one that isn't lit, is that new flame the same or different than the old one? It's not exactly the same, but it's also not different. So in other words, but this is true even while you're alive. In other words, there isn't, and it's one of the meanings, a very important notion. Oh, I left something important out. Okay, thank uh, I'll get to it. Um, of, uh, uh, have you heard the teaching of, sham, of, an, uh, of anatta, anatta? Emptiness? Okay. The risk. It, I, have to, uh, I do have to take it for all of us adults. What, it, the, what the Buddha is saying, and, and in some sense, emptiness is the crown jewel of the Buddha's teaching. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult one. Okay. Uh, let's go to the World Trade Center. The amount of solidity that building had. Now we're hearing what went into building it, and you know, it's like monumental. Okay. It's quite an accomplishment. Okay. Where is it now? Okay, now, uh, what? look, Dharma is revealing itself. This natural law is revealing itself in the most peaceful of times. Like impermanence is always true. It is never a second when it's not true, and it's everywhere. As the Buddha said, it will be like salt, is wherever you dip into the ocean. So change, constant change, that's the natural law. But when this happened, we got a post-PhD teaching on the fact that life is impermanent, Things change and they change in an uncertain and unpredictable way. If you didn't get that, go back to and do your homework. It's powerful. Okay. So now, was the World Trade Center hallucination? No. It was a beautiful, depending on your view, uh, <laughs> creation uh, that it existed, but it was empty of inherent existence. Meaning, it didn't have the solidity that we impute to it. You see? But nothing does. This used to be my apartment. Honestly, this, this meditation hall. I lived here for 15 years. Okay? Kitchen. Living room. TV set. Meditation. little meditation yoga room. Okay? Uh, I was kicked out, fortunately, and I lived down the street because uh, we had to make a larger meditation hall. And towards the end of the process, I walked in and my apartment was gone. And I couldn't find anything that was familiar. Even the windows, nothing. Okay, it's empty, but it doesn't mean that those 15 years where it, was, it gave me a protection, a place to heal, all kinds of things. It was wonderful. It was a home. 
okay? I'm grateful. It, it was real during the time that I lived there, but it didn't have an, an inherent existence that existed from its own side. It, was, it, it came together because of causes and conditions. Before it was that, this was originally a birthing place for the first, first and only birthing place in Cambridge. Women gave birth in this. A doctor and his wife lived here. Then a doctor and his wife died. He married his nurse. You know, uh, <laughs> okay. Then it became a rooming house. When we got it, we got it for not too much money because it was a dilapidated, bankrupt, failed, terrible building. Okay, so it's all called 331 Broadway. Where's the real 331 Broadway? Right now, it's CIMC, Cambridge, is in the, and we have all this, you know, Buddha's walking, Buddha's sitting, you know, you know sort of like, uh, and, you know, we're building a sense, it's, a, it's theater. Uh, but it, it's theater to help us create some calm, some peace, some incentive to look at ourselves, uh, to be more loving, and so forth. Uh, but, so the teachings are saying, okay, you can ha- accept that. I know you were nodding with World Trade Center. And you, you understood my apartment. Okay, how about you? You're empty too. What we think of as being me. This is solid, and out of and this me, out of the me, thoughts are issued. But this is, you know, it's, from the Buddhist point of view, the me is put together by thinking. Words, you see what I And, okay, you got it. So, the rebirth is that process. That's not too comforting to people. <laughs> we want to know that we're going to exist. Why is everyone so interested in rebirth? Eh? Because they're afraid to die. But the Buddha's teaching is saying, that's not really what's important. It's to come to that which is timeless. In the Christian religion, it would be to come to God. In other religions, it would be called something else. The, the self in Hinduism, perhaps, with a big S and so forth. Um, so it's trying to. See, it's not that, that this world doesn't exist, that my apartment didn't exist, but it always existed in that uh, tentative way. And why does the Buddha teach that again and again? Uh, to help us let go. Uh, to enjoy what's there while it's there, including people we love. But to but not get deluded into thinking that this is here forever. You see? Good. Yeah. Oh, wait. I, Oh, I just wanted to, because this was just final. For all of us, uh, it was a, quite a lesson in Dharma. Many things were taught. Uh, the emptiness of the World Trade Center, etc. Uh, you can't miss it when an event like this happens. So, uh, learn from it. Learn from it. Uh, that's Dharma <coughs> practice too. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I found it. I was upset that I sort of come to the intellectual and maybe spiritual limits of pacifism. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the death penalty for professional reasons and doing a lot of other things that made, kind of entrenched it. And suddenly I found something happened that I, I couldn't, at least intellectually, limit. I couldn't say this is someone who still should not be killed. You mean there was someone you felt should be killed? I, inside I absolutely did. I couldn't, when I had a discussion, find a way to Okay, now you have a choice there. One is to change. You're not a pacifist anymore. People change all the time. Okay. Uh, another is that's the test of your pacifism. You're being challenged. Are you really a pacifist? Here's someone who's a dirty, rotten. Uh, 
I asked one of my first Buddhist teacher was a Korean Zen master, wonderful, extraordinary, wonderful human being. And I said, uh, if you were up close to Adolf Hitler at the beginnings of where, and you had a chance knowing what, where this was all going, and you had a chance to assassinate him, would you do it? And he's a, he is, and he paused and paused. He took it seriously, to his credit, I think. And then he said, in his broken English, maybe sometimes kill is okay. He said, but I would be prepared to pay for it with karma. He said, I, 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 would, I wouldn't get off. Just, you know, so, uh, if you want to call it the Buddhist way, Buddhism may be, I'm not sure of it, it seems maybe the most pacific of all the world religions. The emphasis on nonviolence is quite strong. Let's just say it's a very pacific religion. I don't want to compare it with anything else. And that doesn't mean you can't come to the center anymore. Because from my point of view, what's important is for you to work out your own life and your own destiny and to come to terms with this. But maybe it's a struggle. Maybe you'll come back to realizing you want to stay with that, no matter who the other, that person is. And that you were just, you were pushed to the wall and you fell down according to your deepest principles. Or maybe you'll revise it and say, look, I was a pacifist, but uh, I'm not anymore. And, and then get comfortable about that because you know, because it's true. Yeah, please. I was talking to a friend a few days ago and uh, on the phone and I said that I felt the need for more peace more than ever. And I said, I, I, and I said the thing, and I said, I never considered myself instead of <coughs> pacifist, but that's where I am now. And I, I don't know why. And that's just where I am. And, um, Okay, I just, I I like to move slowly. Remember, that's still a label. And I don't know what it means. And maybe you're in the process of discovering what it means. Um, Great, you're a pacifist. Okay, here's where self-knowing comes in. Self-knowing comes in. What does that do for you? What did it do for you to to, uh, find out you had urges inside yourself that you didn't know were there? Kill the son of a... Why? Why? You know, in other words, everything that we do is pointing back to that which issues the attitude, the action. So, do you see what I'm getting at? So, it's a piece of self-knowing. Uh, so, no matter what it is, it can be invaluable in that it can help you be free and then either be a pacifist or not. And Keep going. Yes, and the other thing was, I was um, surprised that it, instead of bringing me down to But you know, not only that, when the World Trade Center came down, the birds are still chirping. The sky is still blue. 
Um, but there's something, a point, I keep seeing some things that I should have said, but I didn't. I hope that gatherings like this, in other words, the power of the Sangha is helpful for us, all of us. We all need each other in, in this way. And then we all go our separate ways to our whatever your life is, whatever my life is. You're all teachers now, whether you know it or not. Um, the degree to which you can bring this practice into your own life and bring a little bit more stability and sanity into your own existence. See if you can help those in your family, at work, who are not meditators, who don't have resources, but just not by preaching to them or telling them to come to 331 Broadway, but by demonstrating it, by being a little bit more grounded. Do you see what what I'm... uh, For example, the woman who's... Had, was re-stimulated, re-stimulated the feeling of the suicide of her daughter that I mentioned earlier. After talking, look, you can be very helpful to people right now. You know what it is to have uh, the law of impermanence and uncertainty. It's not only that things are changing, they're changing in uncertain ways. You know what that is big time already. You can help others with this because you, you have, you've been with it for five years now. She, did, she didn't see herself as having anything valuable to help others with. She saw herself as now a double casualty. So what I'm saying is, if you, if you have a practice, she did have a practice. If you have a practice, for, use it. I want to get to this, because you're all, to me, skirting around something that I just can't leave this building unless I uh, make sure we all walk out uh, and I make sure that I've emphasize this with if I have to hit the bell I will I've spoken to some people I've met, met someone in Bread and Circus today blah blah blah, blah and, and oh Larry what do you, what do you, you know I'm not uh, King Solomon or you know I'm just another person like yourself who's going through the same things so I said look I can tell you one thing practice this person has been practicing for 10 years I said oh yes yes no no I have been of course I've been doing that I mean I never forget I always you know and I said, well, then why are you just... Uh, and we started to talk, and I came back to, through the back door, then through the side door. We said, oh, no, no, of course. Um, what does it mean to look at fear? And it's not just, oh, fear. And then it's uh, to experience the energy of fear as it circulates through the body, as you feel powerful sensations, as the mind uh, keeps producing thoughts that are... Uh, unempowering? No, that's destructive. That are uh, telling you uh, they're all disastrous. Uh, you stay with it. You knocked on your rear end. You come back, and you work with the energy of fear as best you can. Sometimes going back to the breath or metta to regain some some composure, uh, but really sincerely bringing the practice of mindfulness to what is happening in a sustained way. One of the most important things that Vipassana is about is learning how, in general, not about this event, learning how to receive our own experience, expanding our capacity to do that. We humans don't have a large capacity to receive our own experience. We have strong likes and dislikes. Freud, you know, the unconscious is rich. We don't want to know this. We don't want to know that. Oh, yeah, this is all right. Okay. Uh, if you practice more and more, what you're doing is you're uh, finally making friends with yourself, which is all those different forces that, so to speak, live inside of you. 
And so this is, as I say, a post-PhD course. It's just like uh, bringing up whatever it brings up. Be willing to, to face it, to learn from it. And real practice is not just catching a glimpse or making a mental note. You know, fear, fear, and then moving on. That's not even what that method is designed to do. Uh, that the mental note is designed to help you stay in a non-judgmental way with what it is you're experiencing. So, is that what you're doing? Are you really practicing? Yes. I have to say that in response, I came here because you were calming. I've made you more anxious. <laughs> What's okay? I think you're telling me how to do what I'm doing, which is living with fear. Oh, is, is there fear? You need to ask. Uh, no, I, I do. It's rhetorical, but I, I need to. Then, then yes. I was here last week, and I think last week was an effort, and I think I was welcoming others, which was more holding. Yeah. I'm not a priest. Did you no, but I, I don't know what Joseph did. I don't. I yes. There are many things that can be useful, but what I'm trying to emphasize is uh, bring the practice. This is, if ever there's a time to draw upon whatever level of skill you have, it's now. And if fear is with you, yes. Now, I'm not saying rub your head in it. Uh, Sometimes take a walk in the woods, notice that the birds are still chirping. Uh, Sometimes do some loving kindness meditation, uh, take a warm bath. Uh, It's not to crush all joy and to be obsessed with fear, but if it's there, Obviously, what it means to practice is to meet it in a friendly, affectionate way, by the way. We're not at war with fear, our own fear. How to meet it in a soft way. You know, there's a, a very old image that can be kind of useful, I hope for you right now. How do you, what, what's the attitude that you would observe fear with? And this may sound pretty far-fetched. So it's like a grandma or a grandpa watching children at play. You know, a little... like. Uh, it's not the event. No one's trying to water down the event or, or sugarcoat it. It's that this is all coming out of you. It's, it's the mindfulness is you, the breathing is you, the feeling is you, the body is you. Uh, it's sort of you being affectionate with you rather than fear is this energy that's invaded from uh, alien sources. From, do you see what I'm getting at? It's, it's your fear. And so soften. But to soften in this way, that's what I meant by sensitivity, vulnerability. But it takes great strength. But I don't know of anything better to do than this. If you can't do this, or don't want to do this, there are many, many people who don't. Most human beings don't. But you happen to walk into the Cambridge Insight Meditation Center. You know, we could uh, pray and chant, and that's all useful too. But to me, that doesn't go deep enough. That's a bias. Obviously, it's... Self, self-serving, uh, because this is what I do. Yeah, please. I forgive you. I think so. That's what I'm saying. And, and like, what do you do? Do you, um, and it's so, I mean, do you just trust all people? There's no way for them to have known they treat them as anybody else. You have to do the best you can. What do you do? 
look, there's, because certain white people put hoods over their heads and lynch black people, does that mean that no white, you, every time you see any white, how could, you can't live that way. Well, but you see, what an event like this produces is there is more, it's asking you to be more vigilant. Uh, are a certain kind of people... Apparently not. Okay, so, but what you can do is stay awake. Every, look, you can't help but be awake to this now. Uh, and use your practice so that you don't inordinately suffer and also make some innocent people suffer. You can be awake without it having to be so anxious all the time. So what does it mean, please, to be awake in terms of... Pay attention. If you see anything suspicious, what more can you do? Look, the atmosphere has been polluted now. If you, if you want the external world to provide you with a peaceful canvas, can't do that. So the only hope you have is inner work. Now, it's not saying become a dum-dum, but it is saying most Muslims are not terrorists. Both facts are true. Some are. What? Okay, I don't want to get into the history sociology. Well, this is about you. It's not about uh, cultural. This is not uh, talking heads on CNN. It's about you. No good. You want to, what? Then that's what you have to practice with. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to throw the ball back to you. <laughs> You're uncomfortable about it? Then that's what you become aware of. Okay, refine that process so that there is some careful looking without the tension that goes along with it. That's something that practice helps you with. Your own ten- things come up you can learn how to be equanimous as you observe things in yourself which are rather unpleasant. You can learn how to do that. Please. Boy, it's good to be over this side of the room. Yeah. They have this um, fear that people who wear glasses almost see forward so I'm really glad we're talking. Good. Um, there's there's something that I talked about at a, at a with a group of people and I realized that it had a tremendous charge when I spoke about it. Um, during the Vietnam War, when I was 16, uh, and it has to do with backing America and you know being a citizen and loyalty. So. Um, you know, the, it was 1970 and the, the first big marches were happen, happening on Washington. Friends of mine were getting tear gassed. And I had some, some guys come up to me and said, you think we should bring our boys home, do you? And I wasn't going to, I knew what I felt and thought, but I also knew it was a trap because they wanted somebody to pound on, which they did. And, but it didn't just like happen. I then became their their target. Mm-hmm. So there were like these stealth attacks. They wouldn't, it wasn't enough to like, you know, confront me around a bunch of people. Um, so at the same time, I was trying to write a paper, a history paper on why, what, look into the question whether or not it was okay to, to, to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Just having grown up with those images and the incredible uh, devastation. 
um, whether or not it was necessary. And, and believing in my heart that it really wasn't okay to waste that many people for mm-hmm. political ends. Um, and then at the same time being confronted uh, again and again with guys, they threatened to kill me. I mean, things just escalated. Because I kept getting away. So they had to, I don't know. So basically, oh, I just, Could I you bring started, it up to, to today yeah, to what's going on right now? There, there's See, all this is in your computer and memory. Right. And part of what's being reawakened is that they weren't actually, there was this kind of flag waving sentiment that was covering up a will to do violence. Yes. And I became their target. Yes. And I'm really, um, part of the grief is about what happened. And and there, I've just ha- been having this really sickening feeling about where things could go in this country. True. And and that's kind of like hard to hold. I want to be like, you know, proud to live in a country that, that enables us to practice the faith of our choice without fear of persecution. But... I'm well, what, where is your... Where is your who's persecuting well, every time, every time you? Who's I, persecuting you now? Maybe it's the ghost of, of yes. the flag waver. Yeah. Okay, but that's what I'm suggesting is that... But it's a uh, real gut level. You know, it wasn't a head thing. It wasn't a philosophical thing. These guys... But it's all... Yes, but, but right now it's memory. Yeah. It's over. Uh, and it's influencing how you experience the present. That's true of all of us, everyone in this room. Whether this happened or not, the, we don't see the present. We see it through yesterday's eyes. Part of what the job of Dharma practice or Vipassana meditation is to undercut that and to see with freshness. And the only way that I know that you can get to that is to see all the things you're telling me about. So your practice is, is to see, but to see them for what they are. These are memories that are col- coloring your present. Yeah. You don't, you're not too sold on it. No, no, it's really true. But it's, I'm not saying it's, it's really, easy. It really caught me by surprise. Oh, yes. I didn't expect, you know, it was just, this is only the second time I told this story in eons. And it's like, I, I tell the story and I pay this huge charge and it's almost like the screen goes blank and once in a while I make eye contact with you and I'm back in the present. For okay, so that's what you have to... Were so that's what you have to, have to practice with. Let me put this on a, a bigger Dharma canvas, if you don't mind me. When you go deeper in meditation, when anyone does, you leave behind being an American. There's no American in the, in the silent mind. An American does not get enlightened. That would be idiotic. Uh, n- nor does uh, a Pakistani, nor does a man or a woman, nor does an old person, a young person, uh, whatever you want. That's, th- this is a place that is... Uh, okay, I think you understand what I'm saying. Now, it's a subtle point of, of the teaching. There's something called attachment to emptiness, or in Zen they call it the stink of emptiness, which is that you get... Uh, so pure, you know, that is, I'm beyond being this, that, and the other. And essentially, you've created a very subtle dualism where there's you that's awakened and beyond all patriotism, chauvinism. After all, once there wasn't in America, it's a convention, it was created, and it'll fall apart someday. Planet Earth won't last forever either. It's just the law of impermanence. Okay, so all of that happens. And uh, because you've attached to being beyond all that, 
then you've set up another opposition with those people who love their country and put out a flag for whatever reason and so forth. Um, attachment to emptiness or let's say the, the, the meth- medicine for that is to understand this comes from the Heart Sutra. I hope some of you, all of you read it someday. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. That is, you can't separate these two. So that the, what makes it sane would be you can come back to being an American who's liberated. Of course, it'll never be the same because uh, you have a different relationship to being an American, being a this, an X, a Y, a Z. There's no question about that. It's in its place. It's not the deepest thing about a human being. None, none of these countries are. Nor ethnic groups, nor races. Look, I have come from a very Jewish background. Fourteen generations of rabbis. Is that enough? Okay. <laughs> That's not the deepest thing about me. It really isn't. And I know it. And that, but that is an effect, an influence in my consciousness that I'm not at war with it. It's there. There's some good things in it. There's some things that I have to watch out because they uh, poison my mind in certain ways that I don't want and so forth. Okay, so now we have a fresh new situation. Um, what does it mean? I told you how I wave my flag, but look, most people in Cambridge are with you. They're you know, ready to lynch me. Look, people in this center, they nearly fainted when I said, <laughs> you know, Larry, you, you uh, I mean, I refused to bear arms for two years. I went through hell to get that status in the military. I was in the infantry for two years, so I didn't have to, be, but I served. Okay, and, and I was in the anti-war movement and everything you're talking about, I know it well from the inside, and I'm waving a flag. I'm not waving a flag, I just... For me, it's, it's just like the flag at half-mast. It's just grieving. Uh, I know that America... Also, let me, let me sketch this out. It's a very big thing we're dealing with, all of us. I've experienced sorrow, haven't you? Of course we have. But I've seen different kinds of sorrow in myself. Let me give you just two. One was Sunday. I was taking a walk in the park in uh, Boston Commons. And I had heard before that in the Sunday morning news and all about this is we're talking about years when we you know blah you know this is a, a war, and I saw you know two guys with purple hair and earrings through every orifice that they had, and I looked at them and I got very very sad because what I saw was if this is a war that goes for years they're going to be drafted, bye bye purple hair. Bye-bye. And I also know just the thought of having to go through 16 weeks of basic training again, which I, you know, I don't know what that... I just felt... And two years of being, even if you believe and you love your country, not you're not cut out, you don't want to be a soldier, but you have to be. It was exhausting, and I felt a certain sorrow for the, the generation of young men, and some women too, who are going to have to go over and serve and be part of a military and go through what I know they have to go through. I did not love two years that I put in. I did it. Okay. I also have felt sorrow, not unrelated to this, that is not particularly American. It had to do with the collective, timeless sorrow of, uh, the, of we human beings. That is, uh, the level of ignorance. It's a human problem, the whole planet. Is this where we've arrived at with our extraordinary computers and getting to the moon? And of course, then you get to what some people would think of as utopian. Uh, Some kind of inner transformation is what has been neglected. 
we know a tremendous amount about stuff which finally isn't all that important. We know very little about what is most precious. We don't know how to live together. We don't know how to live together because we can't live with ourselves. We're in conflict. How can we expect our leaders not to be in conflict? So, that's a big one. Uh, Conferences, they may help. I'm all for it. I'm for the United Nations, peace summits, meetings, and all that. But unless unless the human race decides to allocate its energies in a somewhat different way, so that through the school system, radically changing education, so that what is held to be important is wisdom, compassion, self-knowledge, not special just for people who become monks and nuns who have sallow complexion. It's, for, it's, it's just a general cultural value. And it's, why? Because we can't survive otherwise. We have to learn how to live with each other. And then there are some religious texts that imply, hey, that's hopeless. This is the curriculum on planet Earth. They're going to be all these ignorant people and there are going to be a few who see it and don't want to be and they get liberated and then there's the rebirth process, you know, karma and, the, and so it goes on. You, the curriculum's not going to change because that comes from someplace much deeper than your nice educational program to radically uh, re-educate the human race. Uh, Keep it simple, stick to the present moment. That's the best thing I know for, for these times. Don't get too far ahead of yourself Pay attention. Uh, that's really the, the essence of good practice. Keep it simple and stick to the present moment. It's very hard to do. We spend a huge amount of time in the future and in the past. And then, as tourists, we drop into the present moment from time to time. You know, we visit it. Maybe when you come to this building. But what the practice is about is more and more living in the present moment and visiting the future and the past when it makes sense to do so. But I have a lot of what you're talking about too, but you've got to see through it so you can behave now in a way that's real. That's just my own feeling. Last question, I think, or... Please. I don't think that it's also an enormously humanizing experience for us in America. I mean, we're... Yes. I'm not sure that's true, but maybe. Let's say it is. Yes. I think it's absolutely true. I think it's a wake-up call on many levels, many, many levels, including spiritual. But, you know, one last thing. Are there any people here? I don't feel I did to you with your son. Is there anyone, you know, any people here who are parents or who are people who work with children a lot who would have something to say that's a little bit more intelligent than what I have to say? It's more helpful. Anyone? What do you, what do you tell a three-year-old? Please. Well, heaven can't be a very nice place if it's full of dead people. <laughs> 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 
Of course, that's not what the uh, terrorists are being told. They're having a ball up there. Um, one last one, if there's something burning. Yes. Oh, that's obvious. That that's yeah. There was something called Jataka tales. These are tales of the Buddha in previous lives, and they're often tailored for ch- anything that is relevant from what you know of them. I don't know of anything. He, he's almost four years old. If he keeps going back to death, he's mm-hmm. asking about death. I don't think it's. I mean, I don't think maybe I introduced it initially, the Pasadena thing, but he keeps going back. You know, there are stories in the Buddhist tradition of young children uh, who are five, six, who at the funeral of a parent, and as like Dogen, a great, great Japanese Zen master, as the incense stick at the funeral and everyone was sobbing, uh, obviously it seemed that there was more realistic treatment of the subject. I'm all for sensibly staying as close to the truth. And I, I was told that when I asked, well, where do babies come from? You eat a lot of kasha. And that, that's a, a grain. You know, uh, you know, just... Okay, so... Uh, and then, okay, but at any rate, this, this was in, a, in a, a dharmic culture, which maybe America's on the way to coming. Maybe that's part of what you're... More and more, this is getting stronger. Spirituality, let's call it. I'm, okay. Uh, in that culture, the, Dogen, as a very young child, uh, became really concerned about the nature of human life and what happens to it at death because he lost a parent. And it, it wasn't that it was just morbid. It became the energy that fueled a lifelong self-inquiry that resulted in enlightenment. So I think it can be dealt with in a true and honest way, skillfully, depending on the child, the situation, the timing, and most of all you, I think. Please. Can I just say also, it has to be classic what boy find. They find a topic. They notice it drives you crazy. <laughs> 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 because this emotional reaction has nothing to do with World Trade Center. It's developmental. And he's about something that causes you. See, we have some experts here. What? Good. One last one about anything, please. Um, you, you said you called the Islamic yes. uh, the mosque, and I'm curious about what they said they needed. Uh, they're overwhelmed with support. 
they really are. This, they, they had a march to Boston, and there were just a tremendous number of people joined them. They have a blood drive. Uh, they, they've printed something in the newspaper. They sent out circulars to everyone. I, you know, uh, put it in the mailbox, explaining who they were, that they're not terrorists. It was intelligent, beautifully worded. Uh, you could feel the worry there. But I've seen here are small signs. I buy the New York Times almost every morning at this store 24, and there's and there's a young woman who's behind the counter, and she has I don't know the name kerchief and a long okay. Two days ago, I came in, no kerchief, blue jeans, you know, and I realized, you know, safety. Parents are saying, you know, yeah. So, uh, look, we, we want to avoid what happened with the Japanese, but there's going to be no way to totally avoid some mistreatment of people this way. There, there are too many people who are ignorant. There are too many people who are uh, desperate, who are grieving themselves and don't know how to handle it. Um, what we can do is minimize it in our own, each one of us in our world. There are small things you can do. I got into a cab uh, last week and it was clear that the, the guy driving was Islamic. You know, I'm, I'm not some big psychic. You know, it was just, uh, you know, uh, you know, yes. So I said, I, 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 saw, I debated whether to open it up or not. I said, oh, where are you from? Uh, and he got very... You could see tense, and he said, after he didn't answer, you know, he got Syria. And then I just made small talk with him about it. I didn't try to give him a sermon about, we Americans, we know you're a great brother. I just established just a normal conversation with him. There are ways in which you can reassure people. Uh, can we just have a few seconds of silence? May we all look deeply into ourselves. May we see things exactly as they are. May this clear seeing bring with it peace, inner peace. Which we can share. Thank you for your stamina. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.